Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. I get lots of questions about CBD products. And, of course, lots of claims being made. The clinical science just isn't there yet, but we've all heard the anecdotes. People have improvement in pain, anxiety. Said I had a patient just recently in my office whose um, pain was markedly improved with topical CBD. And I've now connected with an Oregon-based company that's all about high-quality ingredients and manufacturing standards. Previously called Select CBD, they just relaunched their brand as Social CBD. Social CBD focuses on broad-spectrum oil, something else you might have heard about. Let's start and talk about that. Hemp has over 16 non-psychoactive cannabinoids, and CBD is just one of them. Broad-spectrum oil goes beyond CBD isolate and contains additional active compounds that work together to create what is known as the entourage effect, more effectively delivering some of the relaxing effects people are looking for. Social CBD's broad-spectrum oils contain zero THC, no highs, and none of those rewarding risks associated with hemp or cannabis. Available in great-tasting flavors like vanilla mint, pomegranate tea, Meyer lemon, just drop it under your tongue. Social CBD products are available in a range of formulations, each of which is clearly described so you can make an informed decision without all the promises that are usually too good to be true. To learn more, go to drdrew.com slash social CBD. That is my website, drdrew.com slash S-O-C-I-A-L-C-B-D. For a limited time, you can save 20% at checkout with the code DRDREW. <music> And welcome, everybody. Uh, thank you all for being here. We appreciate it. Don't forget to keep the wind in the sails of uh, the various ships we're trying to keep afloat here. You can find everything uh, on the banner at the YouTube channel, Dr. Drew YouTube channel, Facebook.com slash Dr. Drew Periscope, and on Mixer. We are watching on all these platforms. Please watch it. Share with your friends. We appreciate you supporting the program. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome a friend, someone who I met, who was introduced by Wes Chapman, yes, the, sure. the Human Gathering. If you want to check that, the Human Gathering, I'll look that up, too, online. And uh, became fascinated with the stuff that you're doing, with the Thank book you. you've written. The book we're going to show it to you right now is called Fearvana. There it is. Look at that. Look at the technology <laughs> we have here. Uh, so please do watch this on YouTube if you want to see. You can order the book at drdrew.tv slash Fearvana, F-E-A-R-V-A-N-A, or wherever you're getting books. But let's get into your story. I know it, but I want the listeners to really mm-hmm. hear this. It's a fascinating – it's a – <laughs> a, uh, a gleeful romp through yeah. PTSD. <laughs> Roger that, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's been a journey to get to the point that where I'm at now with yeah. Fearvana and even the creation of the ethos of Fearvana. Yeah. It kind of began when I moved to the U.S. And, and I'm going to introduce you, I'm going to intru- sure. uh, interrupt you a ton because I'm interested in yeah. really drilling into some of this stuff for these Got listeners. It. So go ahead. Got it. Yeah. Uh, I would say it started when I moved to the U.S. at 13, soon from, after, from India and Singapore. And you, soon you, after you, moving, why, why all that movement? Were you my parents? dad's job. He moved with 3M, so we traveled a lot. And did you have to learn different languages years. wherever you went? No, I'm terrible at Hindi, so thankfully stuck with English. Okay, all the English. whole time. Got yeah, uh, and I guess you know, moving from four cities by the time I was 13, so pretty lost, no sense of sort of self confidence, who I am, trying to adjust myself to the environment to fit in, to be cool, to stand out. And so, and so let me just just start right there yeah. at the beginning. I I don't think enough is made these days about identity formation, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we, we don't really coach up young people about, you know, you're not supposed to know who you are until you find kind totally. of a path yeah. and build a, a self in the world, right? Yeah. You had to be somebody in the world to really know who you were. Yeah. And, and for you, that was going to be... 
initially it was finding myself through drugs and lots so of you're, alcohol. You're, I was a drug addict. That was a drug. Did, I mean, did you want I to be the guy that did more drugs than anybody more else? More than or, everybody else. And sold? No. To, did you traffic? Did not guy? sell. Did no. You just, but you just wanted to be the drug addict. I was me and one other guy were the first one in my group to start going into harder drugs. He's no longer alive today. He yes. OD'd. Um, very. I mean, I was I was the guy doing the most, finding the way to do the most extreme things. I still have scars on my arm from cutting myself. I have this burn on my arm from burning myself. So just you, so do, you were do, doing self-mutilation to try to alleviate misery? or I would say it was my way to stand out. Oh, you, you were, it was an acting out it, behavior. It was, it Look was, at me. I'm the, I'm the crazy guy. I'm the cool guy doing these, uh, these things. Did, it's did anybody I try to get through to you at that point and go, I'm not sure being a crazy guy is going to help you? No, it was, like, you, it was like, look at crazy Akshay. Did your you parents know? not know? No, they didn't know. Oh, okay. They so. didn't know. Other teenagers, all. all you had looking at you. Yeah, and I was. Perfect. It was wild. Akshay's crazy. He's doing all these crazy things, right? right? So that's that was how I found myself, if you will, by standing out. And I mean, I w- thankfully more drugs did not come my way, but I would have done anything that came my way. Anything. Were you? Do you think you were depressed or trying to regulate some emotions? Or no, not depressed. I had a great childhood. Fantastic parents. Could not have asked for better parents. So you're just good school. Straight up drug addict. <laughs> straight up drug addict. Exactly. So. Exactly. Found that. You know, I always think that had I, and again, I don't blame my friends because I can take responsibility for my behavior now. Sure, but ultimately, course. a kid is at very much at the effect of their environment. Of course, right? And so, but, but some kids are affected certain ways. And certain ways, exactly. You were somehow set up for it. There's yeah. a lot of things about you that are unique and interesting. And they, they <laughs> don't know yet they are, our listeners don't know yet <laughs> what i'm talking about so I'm, i want to drill all that so Roger go ahead that. keep going yeah so um got down this path for about i would say about a year and a half and the trigger point the thing that like the trigger that transformed my life was watching the movie black hawk down okay that movie planted a seed that forever changed my life which was which was the idea of sacrificing one's life for something greater than yourself have you seen the movie oh yeah War movie, it, true story. And, and a lot of it is sacrificing on behalf of immediate peers, too. Exactly. For your people. Did you play football year. or anything? Did no, you ever get that no. experience any other way? No. When I was, you know, much younger, before moving to Austin, I used to run a lot, play a lot downstairs. Like, you know, out in the building, we used to play But not scary soccer. sports where you were laying yourself out for your no. team. And, exactly. And, yeah. And did and how old were you when, when you saw that film? Uh, about 16 or 17. Right, yeah. And now it's on. Now military. So watch that movie. Planted the seed. Because in the movie, there's those two guys who sacrificed their lives. They received the Medal of Honor, highest award for valor in the U.S. military, but they both died and they received it posthumously. And the guy they died protecting is still alive today, Michael wow. Durant. Wow. And that triggered something in me. How did you reconcile doing that and doing drugs? It was after that movie. I mean, literally right after that movie, I, I still remember to this day dropping my friend Luis up at his, uh, at his house. He had the book Black Hawk Down. I borrowed the book from him, started reading book after book after book then on military and uh, life uh, on combat. And uh, that was it. Almost overnight, just uh, stopped. So, said, so al- already you were a person of extremes. Exactly. Okay. Which is good. Very much I mean, so. uh, you, you can have some liabilities with it, but but good. So you now you're going full bore towards military. Full bore. It took me a long time to get in because I have a blood disorder. So two doctors told me that boot camp would kill me because of this blood disorder. So I had to – and I'm flat-footed. So I had many disqualifying medical conditions. You have von Willebrand's or something? Is thalsemia. That right? Oh, you have thalsemia. thalsemia. Why would that – like beta because, thalsemia? Yeah. And so they said that you know because – hemoglobin is chronic? Probably 11, 11 and a half? 11, yeah. yeah so they low. said that was that – was That's low enough. Low, yeah. yeah. Right. That the intense training would would. Well, kill not me. only that, if you had bleeding, you'd be 
gone before they could stabilize the plane. Yeah. Uh, so I had to sort of go – I went to a third doctor. He finally gave me the letter of approval, took that to the Marines, and had to get medical waivers. There's got to be people, and, lots of people with thalassemia in, in the Marines. There has I, to be. I think that if it wasn't post-9-11, they probably wouldn't have let me in. Oh, interesting. Because I not only have thalassemia, flat feet, mild scoliosis, so multiple uh, genetic defects, You're if you will. <laughs> exactly. A giant mess. <laughs> giant mess. Uh, but you get in. <laughs> but I get in. And I, I mean, and joining the Marines was, I mean, I started to embrace the suffering, embrace, because obviously boot camp is hard. You struggle. I wasn't extremely fit back then, you know, like I am now, but I suffered. So you I were struggled. the opposite if you, if I read your book correctly. Yeah. I mean, I right? just come out of a pretty, you know, doing a lot of drugs and stuff. <laughs> so I wasn't exactly in great shape, right. but mentally I thrived in it. Not only thrived, I mean, I graduated infantry school as the honor graduate in my platoon. It's so funny. I, I was I had loving a similar it. experience with medical training where, where yeah. I jumped all the way in like it's a weird thing when when there's a punishing training and you go you lean into it because you're it's it's intense then yeah and for me one of the side effects of being in so intensely i can remember almost every day to this day Mm -hmm. i can certainly tell you what i was doing every couple Mm -hmm. weeks Anything like that for you in the training process? Yeah, you know, yeah. it's uh, there's definitely things, little things that stand out, and then otherwise yeah. a blur fall of it. <laughs> but, but little great, great story. I mean, it's Marine Corps boot camp. You're inevitably going to have great stories. Yeah, inevitably, <laughs> yeah. So you bought in, and then you went overseas. And then it was about three years after I I uh, finished infantry school that I went that I finally went to Iraq. I I was volunteering every chance I could get. What were we doing in the meantime? I was in I was in undergrad, so in the reserves, and that's and I kind of started to look for other ways to test myself. So I went like mountain climbing in Alaska, in the Himalayas, cave diving, skydiving, ice climbing, rock so, climbing. So, okay, so your drug pushing. addiction shifted to this. To stuff. this exactly, yeah, this seeking thing. a high elsewhere, doing the same kind of thing for you, but in a productive way. In a productive way, yeah. exactly. Got it. But at the time, I mean, I'm volunteering to go to Iraq every chance I could get. I wanted to. Where'd go. you go to undergraduate? Uh, Southwestern University, Got just it. north of Boston. Yeah. Yeah. And so I kept, I mean, twice the Marines told me I'm going to Iraq. Last minute, they canceled it. And so finally, in uh, 2007, I got my, I would say my opportunity, if you will, to go. Uh, I was an infantry non-commissioned officer. So we were, you know, out the wire pretty much every, most most days, seven days a week out the wire in Iraq. What does that mean? Like out the base. We had a little fob, a forward operating base in this Iraqi desert in this place called K3. And uh, going out going out on various missions, doing multiple multiple different roles out there. But like one of my jobs, for example, was to walk in front of our vehicle convoys looking for IEDs or bombs before right. they could So make sure you stepped on it before the vehicle Exactly. Did. Better, better this guy than somebody else, right? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. And you did, you did you volunteer for those kinds of positions? I did not, but I, was, I did not have a problem doing it either. I, I went out there with... Um, Admittedly naive, naive and arguably suicidal. I wouldn't say suicidal, but I went out there not expecting to come back. Hmm. I went out there that I could not have cared less whether I came back or not. I'd had no plans when I came back. because I'm like, what am I going to do now in my life? And uh, the reason being is because, as I said, I was volunteering every chance I could get to go to Iraq when I, when I, came, when I came to my unit. And I was volunteering with a buddy of mine, this uh, guy, Corporal Jacob Neal. And we came close in the unit, you know, volunteered every chance we could get. Twice the Marines told us we're going. Last minute they canceled it. And... Um, we used to train together. So when we trained together, though, I would beat him by, like, maybe a few seconds on a run or a few few points on a rifle range. And so we became very close. One summer, while I was out vacationing in India, he finally found a unit to go with. And because he was a good Marine, he was promoted to corporal. And he was hit with an IED, and he never came back. Mm. And so I always felt, and I get that there's, I get that, you know, you can't predict war rationally. I understood all this, but I always felt like I, I felt like I had no right to be off vacationing. I should have gone with him, and I should have gotten that promotion. 
I should have gotten that promotion, and um, it should have been me. You should have been hit with the IED. I should have been hit. So now was there an intention to protect other soldiers? Yeah, okay. and admittedly naive one. Now you, this is very emotional for you. Yeah. You're, you're choking on it right now. Yeah, I mean, it's you still yeah. think about it. I mean, I still remember while he was in training, he um, he would call me, and he would just give me a lot of, like, give, talk a lot of trash that I'm not there with him. You know, I was dating a girl at the time, and I still remember once he called me, and I was standing next to my girlfriend at the time, and I... Didn't want to answer the phone because I knew he just, you know, messed with me. calling you from Iraq? From the, while he was in training on the workup uh, uh, uh. work to Iraq. Yeah. Um, and uh, I saw Neil on my phone and I never answered it. And, oh. And never got to speak Yeah, to don't me. do that to yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's hell were you at that point? What was I? When he was there, 20, 2007, so 22? Yeah, come on. Yeah. Come on. Don't, yeah. do, don't play <laughs> that game with yourself. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You're okay. Any 22-year-old would have done the same Whatever. thing. Whatever, yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right, so you go, and what was that? You did a couple tours, didn't you? One tour. One tour, and what was that experience like? You know, it was, it wasn't, we wasn't the wild, wild west. We weren't getting firefights all the time. Our biggest threat was IEDs. And so part of me was disappointed that we weren't getting in firefights all the time. I mean, I remember rereading my journal after Iraq, and admittedly, it was it shocked me reading it literally a few months ago. In one part of my journal, I wrote that I just hope we get hit with an IED today. Not because I want anybody else to get killed, but I was just, you know, <laughs> waiting, for for waiting for something. I mean, we would have rounds go off on bases, but just the nature of the war, you know, if you're driving through a city and rounds go off from X place, you're not going to engage because it's civilians. So the ROEs, so we had stuff like that happen. No vehicle in our company did get a hit with an IED. Thankfully, nobody got killed, but it was a vehicle. So it wasn't, you know, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't the war like I wanted to be. It wasn't Black war. Hawk Down. Exactly. And so I was angry. I was angry about my experience at war, and I came back feeling unfulfilled mm. that I didn't get to. And I, I get that this kind of sounds crazy. It's not that I'm like war junkie, if you will, but I felt like I did not get to experience the intensity of that in the level that I wanted to. Mm. Uh, now, again, we had intense moments here and there, like a rocket hit our base right across, and they ended up killing four civilians right across from our base. So stuff like that happening, but... I went, and partly, I mean, again, if you're going out there with the mentality that I'm ready to get into a f- firefight and, you know, you die even, then you didn't, I didn't get that. I didn't lose any limbs. I didn't uh, get shot. Damn. So, I know, Poor right? you. <laughs> I know. Fairmont would have been a lot better if I got shot already. <laughs> and so, keep going. So, what happened then? So, I came back, and, um, I mean, so I struggled out there, but, you know, I learned ultimately that, look, I can't change the the face of the external circumstance. It is what it is. I can, I can whine, complain, and and do all that, or I can just find uh, find a way to embrace what the experience. And ultimately, I, I did. You know, I, like my journal from two months into the war to four months into the war, different, different experience, like mm-hmm. different vibe in different that. Guy. Even, yeah, yeah, different guy. So by the time I left, though, Iraq, I mean, I was like, I'm going to miss this place when I go back home. So when I came back home, I struggled. I did not want to be back in this world. So I was volunteering to go back. Did you go back? I did not. Did, I, did, um, do you think you were actually having PTSD and just didn't know it? Because that's sort of the common experience. Like the things are less meaningful here. Exactly. I'm not as connected to all of comrades as I yeah. should be. You come back to college too. And now again, I didn't have the level of awareness and understanding I do today. But you can't – so you can't blame somebody for not approaching the world with you do have to having experienced these experiences. So college students – complained about really silly things. And again, it's not their fault. They have their experiences they have, so that we only do the best we can with our awareness. But at the time, I was very judgmental about it. <laughs> did you, um, um, knowing you as I do, I'm imagining you did the opposite of keeping quiet. I, I didn't have the best time readjusting to, uh, to coming back. Most of my friends had left. Thankfully, I just had one buddy of mine who was still in undergrad. So I came back, and I was like, this sucks. I mean, I, so I just said, let's go back to Afghanistan, go back to Iraq, wherever 
somewhere go back. And somewhere, exactly. And again, because partly I also felt unfulfilled, so I wasn't getting my opportunity. So what? And Part I of it though year, is somewhere where I can get high. <clears throat> so that oh, there's an addictive you, nature too. Right, this. that must yeah. have driven you back towards drugs again. It driven. I stopped. I never got back into drugs, but alcohol, alcohol for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's what actually had me go to journalism school, though, because I wanted to, I went to, I got my master's in journalism with the intention to go to war as a war photographer, a war journalist. Interesting. I went, I figured in the Marines, there's, uh, as much as I love the experiences, you don't have a lot of freedom to do what you want. You're told what to do. You got to do it. And uh, so I thought I'd go back to war, but at least to have the choice in how I experience it. Yeah. Yeah. How come that didn't happen? I met my now ex-wife, but I met my wife at the time, okay. and uh, and war journalism is not exactly a conducive lifestyle. No, to... she didn't, didn't sign off. I get <laughs> yeah. it. which was fair, and I had no clue really what I wanted to do. So I was right. like, okay, we met and decided to get married, and was kind of trying to figure out what next. Keep going. What yeah. happened then? So I got a corporate job for a year and a half, hated it, and but the day I signed up for that job was the same day I signed up to go spend one month dragging a 190 pound sled. 350 miles across Greenland. What? In like minus 40 degrees. What? Because I was seeking other avenues you're, you're looking to get for the that. High again. Looking okay. up, yeah. looking for not just the high, but a life of Challenge. simplicity. Cha- oh. Challenge and simplicity. I, I, this, none of this war is simple. simple. War is life is simple in a war zone. This life is complicated. This is something I've never heard you say. So yeah. I, I'm not sure simple is the right word because as somebody who's not been to war, simple strikes the ear very strangely. I'm wondering if it's narrow or focused is more a better way because. Things can get pretty complicated. In, I mean, I understand what you mean, yeah. the nature of war, but it's simple in the sense that, like, as a non-commissioned officer, you know, you hit certain times leading, leading, At least uh, leading you're, Marines. You're, but, I get it. You're, again, I'm looking for, searching for the right language. I, I'm going to say this word. It's not nearly adequate. Your role was specified and simple, and you exactly. had to just do it and repeat it. You wake up. Here's your brief. Pull, you go out of the pull mission. The sled. You pull do the, the mission. Sled. Exactly. Pull the sled. Exactly. Yeah. Your yeah. mission is assigned. You go on your mission. Yeah. You come back, debrief. Yeah. I mean, you're ma- all that matters when you're out there is your men and your mission. You're not worried about bills to pay. You're not worried about meeting girls. You know, everything becomes a complicated issue when you're in this world. Interesting. Because I think in this, because I, I, we, we are going to share with you some really interesting ideas that, that uh, Akshay has come up with. And and he it's transformed his life, and I'm trying to figure out how everybody can get access yeah. to it. Yeah, and and something here is an important thing to drill into. I don't know if it's part freedom of it. and structure, freedom and discipline, setting up structure. Because eventually, you know, went through my lows to get here, but now replicating the structures that I had in the Marines, replicating the structures of um, so freedom across comes Greenland, through structure, through discipline, through discipline. structure, through simplicity. Okay. You got to reduce the par- like paradox of choice, right? We too many choices, we don't make decisions. Humans don't so like that. Re- Reduce choices, yeah. eliminate choices, structured everything. I mean, I have systems for how I shower. Systematize everything, so you don't have to think. You don't waste cognitive fatigue, right? You waste yeah. you you use your decisions when so you again, need. Again, there's there's <laughs> so many different kinds of people out there. For me, when you say that, I immediately get a zing of dopamine, like oh, perfect awesome. reward. <laughs> but a lot of people will get repelled Wait, by that too. Yeah, it's really interesting. Okay, so keep going. So now we're married and we're so corporate job for a year and a half. Quit the you know had that job, hated it, quit. But I knew I would quit uh, to go ski across ice cap. Love that, right? But ultimately, what I was doing was running away from myself. So I come back from that. Now I'm starting my own business, building my business, which in is life coaching initially, just one on one coaching. Because I got into, I got into how did the you personal, figure you could do that? So I got into the personal development realm because through the Marines and then seeking out my and you know sort of worthy challenges in outdoors again skydiving rock climbing and all that I got into the studying the ideas of mastery of growth mm. so I started reading books on that so when I had the corporate job at, at the side I was also getting trained as a life coach because I didn't really know what I wanted to do so got I was like it. what can I do so personal growth appealed to me and in terms of helping other people how did that occur to you 
I that's that, I mean that's what the Marines was, was you know say, serve for that. yeah okay, you serve it. something greater than yourself perfect got and that's it, which what is, and is that yeah. a, I don't remember that being in Fearvana prominently is that a, absolutely like the it? last chapter is called Love Faith and Fear that okay. it's all about I mean if there was you know that's all about the people next to you I mean like and, so before we got here today speaking with you I watched this clip from Black Hawk Down it's the last part of the movie where he says you know he's talking to his buddy and he says people don't understand what I do when I go back home they ask me are you just a war junkie and he says they don't understand that it's all about the men next to you and yeah so and, I and I know I, I know that's how uh, in the military that's how they train you up and uh, and it is because that's what there's the book again. We're putting it up here on a screen. It's what humans need for meaning and for purpose and for – yeah. And, it, you know, when we're trying to get people to get sober, we're always trying to get them to be of service. And, yeah. And the other thing the other thing that's interesting to me is that a lot of people today, I think, understand that service is an important thing. But they all want to run, you know, a little soup at a soup kitchen, which is great. I don't want to take that away. But there's a missing piece, two missing pieces according to Aristotle, which is skill and wisdom. And when mm. you have skill and a wisdom, mm. you have something really to, that mm. changes things. And that's mm. so. So, and when you go give whatever, you can substantively make a difference because you've got a skill set to bring to bear, yeah. and you give it away. You give it. Yeah. And so you you had instinct on that to develop that skill to okay. develop that. So now yeah. keep going. So now life coaching. So now without the external job, without skiing across ice caps, now building a business, you know, entrepreneurship. There's no structure imposed upon you. So without external structure, start exactly, start. <laughs> you start running. Perfect. Without external structure, the demons rise up. You do everything possible to run away from them. So Perfect. the drinking starts. Now, when you say demons rise up, are you having other emotional things going on? Not consciously. Uh, I mean, so what? What started to things got? Uh, what What was happening was I was struggling physically and sexually with my wife, mm. and uh, it wasn't a physical issue. Uh, it was a psychological it, it, intimacy one. Intimacy Yeah, all of it. Just struggled with that, and uh, and so. Things were getting gradually worse and worse until – I mean I was building the business of being able to help people. But, you know, so I was, first I was doing okay. Like I was, quote, if you want to call it like a functioning alcoholic, right? Like I was still running. Like I would still run a marathon here and there. I was still building a business. So in many external circumstances, life looked good. You know, I was doing great. But weekends roll around. And I'm not, I wasn't at the time one of those drinking every day. But when I did drink, I drank heavy hard. Bench, heavy yeah. 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 And then eventually two days became three. Mm. Three became four. And it was starting to get to the point where, I mean, I would, I got to a point in my life where I would drink almost a liter of vodka a day. Just drink till I pass out, wake up and drink again. And this would go on for five to seven days till my body just could not. I mean, sometimes I literally, the only reason I didn't die from alcohol poisoning is because at least I was doing everything else right in terms of eating and exercising. So I was navigating. Was some of this running away from the loss of your buddy that went to Iraq ahead of you? All of it. I felt like, why did I get to be, why do I deserve to be alive? So, so survivor's guilt was a big thing here. Mm-hmm. Survivor's guilt, thrill-seeking. Of plain old, um, I didn't earn. I didn't suffer enough in the war. Ugh. What right do I have to come back here? Would do people call you a masochist? <laughs> Very much so with the things that I do, because this is as we know. There's a lot more since. <laughs> yes, so keep going. So keep going. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I do get that. Um, so eventually, I hit this point where after like five days of binge drinking, I wake up. And there's this empty liter of vodka on the ground, and I just thought to myself, this pattern of drinking and sobering up would never end. So I was about to walk over to the kitchen, pick up a knife, and slit my wrist. And that was, you know, rock bottom. And I, it, was, it shocked me that, I mean, I'd been going through some dark stuff, but I'd never thought about actually, like, legitimately taking my own life. You had a plan. It. Yeah. You thought it through to the point where you got a plan. That was, uh, you know, and that shocked me. Yeah. That yeah. was the trigger that, I mean, it didn't overnight everything, but that was the trigger that started the climb it, it back changes up. changes the direction. Exactly. Yeah. 
started to climb back up. So that's when I started reading. I, I mean, at this point, I was seeing a therapist, but as you know, like it wasn't helping too much. So I started reading books on psycho- on psychology, neuroscience, spirituality. I mean, devouring books. I must have read over like without a doubt over a hundred books. Mm-hmm. Devouring books to understand the nature of trauma, the nature of my brain, the un- like what's going on here. And and through this process, I started healing myself and figuring out the like developing a different relationship to my post-traumatic stress uh, because post-traumatic stress is not post-traumatic stress disorder. There's a distinction and developing the relationship. And that's what led me to this ethos of fear of Anna. Which, and which in, in short is that suffering is an access point to bliss. You find it's these two seemingly contradictory ideas, right? Fear and Nirvana that are often expressed as polar opposites, but they're not. They're complementary that through suffering and at the highest level suffering at a meta level, but fear, stress, anxiety. I mean, all these emotions, these experiences, when you say these words, people don't think of them as positive words, right? Right. Fear, stress, anxiety, guilt, sadness, suffering, pain. Nobody says positive. They think negative. Well, I actually think that there is a a, a ready acceptance today based on the discussion about the sort of the so-called snowflakes out there, that we're not doing anybody any favors by not challenging them. And that really challenge I, – somebody asked me the other day, you know, I was, she was asking about how I did some of the things I did, and I, I went, I don't really know. And I started thinking about it. I thought, well, it was this training. It was this mm-hmm. medical training where I really leaned into it, and it was – I was miserable, mm-hmm. but I was excited and I was into it. But it was that ex- extreme um, adversity yeah. that that I that built resilience and the ability to think on my feet and advert you know in horrible situations and all these That's things that I really shit. really rely yeah. on to this day. They were not about sitting quietly and you know meditating. Nothing against that. Good things, but that we don't challenge yeah. ourselves. And you're all about that. Yeah, it's That's one of the your, biggest your, mistakes I see parents make with kids is trying to overprotect them, right. and you're so, not helping so them; you're hurting we them. We say uh, failure is a gift, is, is what we say. And so, the, your life has been an example of that. So, it, it, this this is one of the things I wanted to drill in today. So, it doesn't surprise me you found that as an asset because it was just an asset you had. Yeah, but it is an asset you could share with other people. Yeah, because a lot of the people don't do it naturally; they avoid it uh, too. They avoid suffering well. Suffering which, look, well. Hold the exactly. T-shirt out. Give him, <laughs> get a picture well. of that shirt if you can, Caleb. <laughs> Not me. There it is. Let's, let's sit up Suffer, a little bit, a little higher. Suffer there we well. go. Suffer well. <laughs> the shirt, which is which sounds almost uh, monastic. I mean, it sounds like some religious cult is is got a hold of your head. But but tell me more about where, what what you mean by that word. Yeah, the ethos is that look, one way or the other, you are going to suffer in life, and if you don't seek out what I call a worthy struggle, struggle will find you anyway how do you not get overcome or shattered by it how does it not roll over you how do you keep in a engagement with it to win to so i think there's like there's two kinds of suffering there's the one that's suffering that life throws at you there's the other that you're seeking a suffering or that we do to ourselves that we're choosing like if i'm running a marathon or i run i run ultra marathons today when i'm 50 miles into a run I'm seeking that suffering. A little bit of a different so, beast. So I but, do a re- regular podcast with Adam Carolla, Adam and yeah. Dr. Drew show. You guys can find it at uh, my website. Um, but he's always 
talking about taking cold showers or jumping in Ex- cold pools. Exactly. And, and just because, A, forcing yourself to do it, B, tolerating it, and, and C, sort of managing whatever comes with it. Falling in love with it. Because when you train, it's like anything. If you train, I mean, when you work out, your muscles get stronger. If you train your mind and your spirit in the experience of suffering, it teaches you to handle suffering when life name? hits you. What's that guy's name that swims under the ice caps? Wim Hof. Wim Hof. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does it remind you of his stuff? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and absolutely. so he was, he's been on to it, too. He's just about the cold. But, yeah. but he's the same kind of idea, though, yeah. right? Same thing. So, I mean, yeah. I seek it out in multiple forms to embrace it physically, spiritually. I mean, I run ultramarathons today, so 50 miles, 60 miles. Recently, I ran 80 miles around a 0.2-mile loop. And you're not a runner. I'm not a great runner by any right. stretch. As I mentioned, you know, scoliosis, flat feet, blood disorder, right. this, that, and the other thing. <laughs> right, right. You know, but uh, but I, it's not about being the fastest or the best. It's about... The challenge. The suffering. And then you also, but but you find, for you, running, you find a transcendent experience too you get high yeah. you get high again I think the beauty in suffering is that suffering is a training ground for self-transcendence and if you're talking about again what you were talking about the earlier you know that um, uh, finding meaning through service Viktor Frankl says it beautifully he says self-actualization is a side effect of self-transcendence so Viktor if, if, Frankl hold on so he was the guy in the concentration in con- camp yeah. he's a psychiatrist who had some beautiful found a way to transcend the experience His, yeah. and had some beautiful observations about humanity and say it again what did he say self-actualization is a side effect of self-transcendence. Getting above, out of yourself. Exactly. Yeah, Transcending sense. yourself. Yeah, that makes sense. So you suffering All these principles, by the way, ground. these principles, I, I'm sure you agree with me, they're in mutual aid societies, in 12-step, in most religious practices, all the same stuff's around us. Yeah. This is not, not, but you've discovered a way to, to drill into it. To frame it in yeah. the way to, to reframe the paradigm through which we view suffering of pain or fear of any kind. Yeah. I mean, there's so many people out there who say things like, be fearless. We live in a world that says stress is the bad guy. Eliminate yeah. stress. How yeah. to manage stress. We attach words like disorder to stress and anxiety. That's the problem. That's yeah. the fundamental I, problem. I listen, we, we have lost track of even the good life. Life, right? Because uh, and, and we, we've gotten confused about happiness, right? Yeah. We don't even know what we're talking about anymore with that. With, what does that mean? Yeah. yeah. And, and I've always made the point that it's not euphoria and it's not what we call hedonic happiness yes. that's important because heroin will give you that, guys. Mm-hmm. But it's eudaimonic happiness, which is about service and giving back and leading a certain kind of life. But then we, then we get confused. What's a good life? I, I would just, I don't care, what, no matter what your religious orientation is, you'll understand what I'm about to say. Uh, I'm not sure Jesus was happy, but he led a good life. You know what I'm saying? Mm. That's a good mm. life, right? Mm. It had an impact mm. on people. It helped people. He, he suffered, but it was mm. a good life. So mm. that's how good lives can be understood, not necessarily as fully happy all the time, yeah. but as living up to – I'm getting emotional thinking about it. It's weird. Living up to the challenge of the moment in a way that's good for – yourself and others to be yeah. like as Dostoevsky said to be worthy of your sufferings you know to when you when you will suffer so I actually define fear of Anna as the bliss that results from engaging our fears to pursue our own worthy struggle that wait, to me wait, is the essence say it again yeah. say it again the bliss that results from engaging our fears to pursue our own worthy struggle I get it is fear the only emotion you're looking at fear or? is the most primal one right like fear stress and anxiety neurologically are very similar mm. but fear is that sort of primal it's the reptilian brain it's our response to external stimuli because the brain's the brain brain doesn't care about our well-being, right? It cares about survival. Yes, And so fear is that response. Is yes. this thing going to kill me is fundamentally the essence. Well, right? there, are three, there are three negative emotions that are sort of primary-ish and um, move people away, which it's fear, mm. disgust, mm. and misery. Mm. 
Mm. Uh, those are the, kind of the three that get that people don't like. Okay. Yeah. That, 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 that you they particularly discussed insights action, but it's withdrawal, mm. right? Fear too, withdrawal, right? Uh, uh, misery can do more paralyzing than than withdrawing, but they're all those are the three that okay. they're hard to lean into. Disgust, your body doesn't want to lean into that. So, yeah, you don't you don't play with that one. <laughs> I, <laughs> so, I don't. Now that's a new thing to explore. <laughs> I don't really necessarily want to know what you do about that, but because I know how extreme you get, and the, and then misery is one that um, unfortunately is all too common today. You and I should think about yeah. this. Uh, and I would argue misery is the one I'm probably dealing with more than anywhere. It's, 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 it's it, uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot about your stuff and I love the way you framed everything. And I think it's going to make a lot of difference for a lot of people. And before we go to calls, which we're going to do soon, I want you to talk about what's coming. Can you, about your, your platforms? And yeah. Stuff? What I want yeah. to build. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but misery is the one I get stuck with a lot and, uh, it's other people that get people through misery. It's a part of the brain called the insular cortex, mm. where misery is sort of experienced, and it's that you have a little homunculus there too, just the way you have homunculi that do sensory and motor. We have a homunculus within this parietal, this temporal parietal thing, that essentially is a landscape of our feeling states, mm. like what do we feel in our body and stuff like that, and it also is responsible for misery, we think, and that seems to be something that people can't tolerate without another person. Mm. So kind of give some thought to that. Yeah, I think that I think that you it's a good way to build a muscle of misery, but you don't need I think sometimes we got to be careful that a community or support is not a band-aid for solitude. You have because ultimately we are all alone, right? You could be around people. I mean, we all know people could be around everybody yeah. and still feel alone. Yeah. So I think mastering solitude, which you as you know I did in a fairly extreme way, I spent 7 days in pitch darkness, isolation and silence. No ex, no nobody. Just in dark room, can't see your, can't see anything, can't did, see your hand you in front eat, of you. Did you eat while you were there? Yeah. So they had they smoothies. Slide. They bring it in. They ring a little bell, and then they leave, and you kind of. So, but there was no human interaction. They bring it to the hallway. Even the hallway is dark, though. Uh. So the reason I did that was because I wanted to face solitude. I wanted to face stillness. I wanted to, and when you shut off your visual sense, you have nowhere external to go. Mm-hmm. So without external stimuli to attach consciousness to, you're forced to go within, which is obviously a very challenging journey. But we live in a world that's running away from those spaces. We're trying to fill those spaces in some way. And sometimes even the positive things we do, like what I did, skiing across ice cap, better than doing drugs and alcohol. But what I was doing was Still just filling. running away. Right. Exactly. You've right. got to go into those spaces and be with those spaces. Right. Was that painful for you? Oh, it was brutal. I mean, you're sitting so seven days in darkness. So that's the misery thing. Yeah. Right? The, the, so you leaned into the misery leaned that into way. Misery. In every, and so, I mean, running is one avenue, finding, like, spending seven days in darkness. And my, the fine line, which I'm constantly navigating, is the farther you go, you got to be careful that you don't become consumed with darkness. Ooh. Into, uh, Tell me more about that. So, like, I constantly wrestle with the fact that a big part of me wants to go back into war zones. Uh, I would love to go back into a war zone. For Maybe there's someone. a productive way of service that you go in there. So, but the the question is, if even if it's a productive way of service, which I do, which I believe there is, and there, yeah. I could do that. But let's say I were to go to some war zone, even in a productive way of service, and I were to get killed, the work that I do with Fearvana would be hindered, and mm. the lives I could potentially touch, okay, like I, the messages enough. I get from readers and Rational. stuff. So I have to. So in some ways, me going to serve in a war zone would actually be selfish. I get it, and I have to temper that. But the dark, the line for stretching darkness is 
there's no one right answer, but you got to go there. You have to engage the spectrum of every duality, I believe. So duality, like the dualities exist, right? And finding the oneness in all dualities. So there's darkness and light, life and death, uh, ego and humility, suffering and play. There's all these dualities that exist in, in the light, human experience. And we often demonize one side of the duality, right? Like fear is the enemy, nirvana is good, suffering is bad, or contentment and discontentment. Discontent is bad, we should be content. But no, discontentment has value, right? So every duality is not negative or bad or good. It's the unification of actually finding oneness in the dualities that actually is the true spiritual awakening. And in order to find the oneness, you have to explore the extremes. So I have always been somebody who will lean into suffering. So only recently I'm finding ways to navigate play and joy and it's, a, it's uncomfortable. I'm more uncomfortable at a dance party than I would be doing death by burpees or something. You know what I mean? When, <laughs> so I have to navigate a different kind of discomfort. Yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> but, but, to... it's, but it's exemplary of what each person has to do, which is find their find thing. Find their thing. Find their thing. So and, in darkness so tell us how, Tell us how the... Um, the platforms can help people do that. What do you so, want to do? yeah. So what I want to do now with, with the Fiervana world that I'm building is create a series of products and services in multiple verticals to essentially help people develop a positive relationship to suffering, which I've come to learn is the most important skill to master in order to live a meaning, more meaningful and fulfilling life. And so what I'm doing is creating Fiervana Academy, Fiervana Fitness, Fiervana Festivals, Fiervana Retreats, Fiervana Adventures. You're already, you're already doing that. I'm in the process of now starting. The book is the sort of launch pad for the movement, but Fiervana Academy will be an educational institution to guide people through these trainings okay. so they can could navigate the experience of suffering, which again, There's nobody's the again, it. We can get it at drdu.tv slash Fiervana. Is there any place you want to send people to learn more about these? You know, all the profits, all the profits from the book go to uh, uh, our foundation. We support many beautiful causes, like former uh, these young girls who are victims of sex trafficking, for, uh, sex trafficking, former child soldiers in West Africa. So, all the profits from the book go to charity. And just want to add that we're really helping some beautiful causes. But, but to but get Fearvana. access to the Firvana experience, Firvana.com. Firvana.com. And you got and f- your Facebook and YouTube also, right? Most of yeah is Firvana Instagram, Firvana YouTube. And uh, but fearvana.com is is a place where I currently uh, have have my own platform, and that's where you can find out more as we build out these uh, other platforms to guide people into perfect finding communities and embracing in the solitude as well of uh, of and, suffering. And, and is it are you still doing like personalized stuff too, or to help an individual so get okay? Uh, not too much. But the idea is to have give a. a AI. We're creating, so yeah, we're creating, we're going to use artificial intelligence, gamification, behavior design to kind of create this choose your own adventure style learning platform. It will help people navigate these topics and get get people who are resistant perhaps to making change. Because we're all at different spots. And so depending where you are, it'll guide you into that place. I mean, some people are going to listen to this and go, no way, I don't know what you're talking about. But but I think everyone can understand that tolerating discomfort is an important skill. Yeah, and it's what builds resiliency. It's what builds grit, and then in in that, yeah, and well, ultimately, if you keep going, there are a lot of other benefits. Yeah, and if you don't, the thing is, if you don't seek it out, it's coming your way anyway. So you get to decide because the reality is, the suffering that life hits you with is far worse than the suffering that you seek. Right, like if I seek out right now, writing writing a book was brutal for me. Running ultra marathons, everything worthwhile I've done. Building a business is brutal. At some point in everything worthwhile I've done, I've said this sucks. I want to quit. I don't want to be here. (laughs) But everything worthwhile has been that, and that suffering is far better than the suffering life will hit you. The existential crisis if I'm not seeking and I'm just sitting there. That's the real suffering. And and seeking these things and, and having them be unpleasant. 
they become less unpleasant because they're less cumbersome as you do them over and over again, right? It becomes it's so or it becomes something you look forward to. It does I guess, become something you look way. forward yeah. to because the because the suffering is the training ground for self transcendence, right? And when you learn to when you put yourself in a space of suffering, when you put yourself in a space where one part of you wants to quit this fight and the other wants to keep going, and if this the more you train yourself for this part to win the fight to keep going, what that does to you and what that cultivates in the spirit is transformational because you transcend your pain. And yes. pain is so all-consuming. There's a purity and power to pain. So when you put yourself in those experiences and you transcend it, that transcendence is everything. That's spiritual awakening. That's growth. That's fulfillment. That's happiness. And that leads to self-actualization. So that's the value in it. All now, right. it still sucks. Yeah, it still, it still sucks. It's still unpleasant. It's still <laughs> yeah, unpleasant. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I don't want to put the misery moniker on it yet. It's unpleasant. It's unpleasant. It's not something you want to, you like, like in, yeah. but you can see the benefit so when you go to the next level like once you develop like right now i'm comfortable with the suffering of running yeah. it's still horrible and unpleasant but yeah. i'm comfortable with it yeah. so what i do is i call meta suffering meta suffering is when you add pain onto pain so <laughs> like you gotta one work your way up yes. first way <laughs> i'm not going there i may not want to do that all right we gotta take a little break uh again if you go to drdrew.tv sign up now you get to receive an alert next time we go live and i've got some of you on the line here i'm gonna get right to you after the break um and so, uh, let's see. Uh, it says, I don't spam you. This is my wife writing this. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. So, you, how do we find the book on drdrew.com, Caleb? We said it several times drdrew.tv slash Fearvana. Okay. Okay. And, uh, and receive, you'll receive occasional notifications when the phone lines are open so you can jump ahead of the line. We don't spam you, but we do let you know if you go to drdrew.tv and sign up. We'll give you the, the alert and put you ahead of the line. I think I've got some people here that I'm going to get to after the break, but let's take a little break and be right back. Hey, I just want to take a second to tell you about our friends at Social CBD. I get asked a lot about CBD products. Everyone's heard about it. But uh, thanks to the variety of claims being made, it can be difficult to answer these things with certainty. We don't have the clinical science yet. Luckily, I've connected with an Oregon-based company that has all about high-quality ingredients and manufacturing. Not hype. They were previously called Select CBD, but they've just relaunched their brand as Social CBD. Social CBD focuses on broad-spectrum oil, something else you might have heard about, but also confusing. So let me tell you about that. Hemp has over 60 non-psychoactive cannabinoids. CBD is one of them. Broad-spectrum oil goes beyond CBD isolates and contains additional active compounds that work together to create what's known as the entourage effect. This can be effectively delivering more calming and relaxing effects for, that's what many people, of course, are looking for. Social CBD's broad-spectrum oils contain zero THC, no high, no rewarding effects, none of those risks. They are available as great-tasting tinctures and flavors like vanilla mint, pomegranate tea, Meyer lemon. Simply drop it under your tongue for maximum effect. Social CBD products available in a range of formulations, each of which is clearly described so you can make an informed decision without all the promises that appear to be and often are too good to be true. To learn more, go to drdrew.com slash socialcbd. That's my website, drdrew.com slash socialcbd. For a limited time, you save 20% at checkout with the code DRDREW. Check it out. Now back to the show. Now we are back with uh, Akshay Nanavati. Get your name right. The book is called Fearvana. Let's have it up there one more time. And um, we're going to get to calls, but before we do, there's one thing you said to me when, just before the cameras heated up and the microphones heated up. You were saying uh, your mom set you up for all this. What did you mean by that? Is my she name, the same way? My name Akshay me, is means invincible. Ah. So <laughs> is she is she is a she similar said, kind of thing? No, my family thinks I'm out of my mind. With so you're the only one do. that's I'm like black this. sheep, <laughs> and you've always been like that <laughs> to a certain Very degree. Exactly. Because one of the one of my concerns is you, you are certainly a certain way, 
and, and it makes perfect sense to me why you found this and why this speaks so loudly to you. I want to figure out a way to make sure that other people don't say find exception in it. Like mm-hmm. that's not me. I can't yeah. do that. You know yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. So oh, I'm hoping far you're, from special. Exactly. I'm not a good. Yeah. Well, but I'm hoping your platform helps just about anybody benefit from these kinds of absolutely. Ideas. Well, as a physician, of course, I'm always complaining about the fact that people don't accept our biological nature, and part of being biological is that we age, and people don't like what that does to us. And fillers and Botox and surgeries help, but they, of course, come with risks and. You know, uh, they could be botched. And if you're looking for a natural and safe way to escape that and improve aging, you need to consider Plexiderm Rapid Reduction Serum. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly reduces wrinkles and eye bags, even crow's feet. Works in minute, works in minutes, used at home. Not only is it fast, but Plexiderm is a natural product derived from shale rock, making it safe and easy to use. Everyday people across the country have sworn by Plexiderm. It's a game changer in the beauty industry. The buzz around Plexiderm has become so nationwide, even makeup artists and celebrities are raving about it. You have nothing to lose with Plexiderm. It's affordable, safe, easy to use, comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Uh, Maybe you don't want to go right to the surgeries. Save money, save time, save risk. Plexiderm, give it a try. You will not be disappointed. The best part is no one will know you're using it. Your age is safe with Plexiderm. Go to triplexiderm.com and use the code DREW, that is D-R-E-W, not Dr. Drew, just Drew, and you will get 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That is right. Half off, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. Offer is also available by calling 800-685-1292. That's 800-685-1292. And mentioning the code DREW, visit triplexiderm.com today and use code DREW at checkout. Again, triplexiderm.com, code DREW. If you love true crime podcasts, Podcast One is the perfect destination. We've got two awesome true crime podcasts trending right now. Check them out. First up, based on the iconic series on A&E Cold Case Files, explore some of the most difficult-to-solve murders which stymied investigators and went cold, sometimes for decades. Next up, Copycat Killers, the latest podcast from Reels and Podcast One. Every episode takes you behind the scenes of real-life murder cases which copy memorable slayings. That's right, memorable slayings seen in Hollywood movies. Check out both Cold Case Files and Copycat Killers. They're going to be your next favorite true crime podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and any of your favorite podcast listening apps. Well, if you're over 35, the enzyme levels in your digestive system does tend to decline. And enzymes, of course, are the workhorses of digestion. They break the food down to usable micronutrients so they can be absorbed. Enzymes are they're chemical reactants that allow certain chemical reactions to go forward. And research shows that by the time someone's hit 65, saliva and pancreatic secretions, both of which key in digestion, can decline by as much as 50%. This can cause the indigestion, issues like that. people. some people believe yeast and mold overgrowth, nutritional deficiencies perhaps. Now, you might want to consider enzyme supplementation. The best enzyme comes from bio-optimizers, massozymes. Massozyme is probably the most complete digestive enzyme you'll see. Over 102% more protease than the nearest competitor and a three to 500% more serving than most popular brands. Protein, of course, is the most important micronutrient. Protein, of course, is the most important macronutrient to break down. Undigested, well, it's not doing you any good mostly. And, of course, the bacteria can work on that and create unpleasant uh, unpleasant side effects. Massozyme not only contains more protease and contains 13 Massozymes not only contains more protease, it contains 13 additional enzymes, including lipase for fat digestion. It works at every pH level from 2 to 12, every stage of digestion. 
All of this makes Massazyme's an ideal complement to any health meal plan. You can watch Massazyme dissolve steak at massazymes.com slash Drew. That's M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S dot com slash Drew. And try it today risk-free. Their 365-day full money-back guarantee is the gold standard in the industry. If you don't like how Massazymes helps you upgrade your digestion, then just contact their support team and they will give you a no-questions-asked refund. Finally, when you go to massazymes.com slash Drew, be sure to enter the coupon code DrDrew10 to receive a 10% discount off your order. Deal for a limited time, only while quantities last. All right, we're going to get some calls here. We uh, are going to talk to uh, Grace Ann, if I can get her up here. Grace Ann? Hi. Hey there. What's going on? Hello? Hi. Yeah, hi. <laughs> um, so I have a question about PTSD. Um, basically, I um, was your normal average uh, girl growing up. I'm 25 now. Um, when I was 19, I was unfortunately um, on the sidelines of the Boston Marathon bombing, and it pretty much just, like, completely, like, flipped my world upside down. Um, I kind of kept myself together and pretended I was fine um, until 2015, and then I just had, like, a complete, um, like, breakdown, and I had to move back home, and since then, you know, I've done... EMDR, which helped so much. Um, you know, I've done talk therapy. I did a year of biofeedback and all of these things really help, but I still get triggered from like everything from, you know, seeing mass shootings on the news or. So uh, they ask a couple questions. Oh yeah. And, and it's a couple questions. Did you do? No, I just, it's just one. Go ahead. Sorry, no, I keep interrupting you. You go. Did you have neurobiofeedback? Is that kind of biofeedback you had? The clicks, clicks on either side of your Yeah. Yeah. And, and what and you did you see people getting hurt? Is that what was so traumatizing for you? Yeah. So uh I didn't actually remember all of the the, the things I saw that day because I think my, my brain blocked it until I did EMDR. Mm. Um uh, and I wasn't physically hurt, no. Right, but you had to witness a lot of horrible things. Got it. Okay. Uh, we will each yeah. have different ideas about this, so let's each present our yeah. point of view. So the the way I like to think about trauma is, now when you have acute trauma like that, it's a little different than chronic traumas. It's a little different than childhood traumas. And these kinds of acute traumas do tend to respond very, very well to things like EMDR. And essentially, the way I think about trauma is is your body remembering something awful. And your body is, the way we've evolved, is such that your body is constantly living it. Even though it may not be in your consciousness, you may not be thinking about it, your body is constantly in the state of trauma that is left. That's the post-traumatic stress disorder or post-traumatic stress that the the event leaves you with. Uh, EMDR, neurobiofeedback interpersonal kinds of emotionally focused therapy, very, very effective. And it's not surprising to me that you got better. But it's also not surprising to me that you have some residual symptoms, uh, particularly things like loud noises or seeing you know, seeing injuries. I would think that would be evocative for you. There are ways to – there are techniques to deal with that. Uh, did you discuss any of this leftover symptomatology with your EMDR specialist? Uh, 
Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, it's something that, you know, I'm still working on to this day because right. um, I struggle with anxiety and depression and stuff like that. Um, but I just am like wondering, is it ever going to get, is that ever just going to go away? Can I ever just not be paranoid about going into a mall and not worrying about some irrational thing happening? It, it's it's a little bit like what people, when people ask me, am I ever going to get over this grief? Uh, and what I see, yeah. what I find with people with these major of life events is you, they don't go away. They just become, it's something you coexist with and they don't bother you so much. Does that make sense? Yeah, they, that they, makes sense. You're, it's still bothering you and it's still causing symptoms and that's why I'm, I think you should have some more treatment. But, but these things, you can look forward to them being far less impactful than they are now, which is, I'm, I'm going to now, I'm going to get uh, Akshay's point of view on this because he has a whole inspirational program that I think might help people like you. So that's why I'm sort of, we're talking about this today. So let's see his point of view on this. So yeah, my thoughts on it. Sorry for okay. what you're going through. I appreciate I can understand the struggle. And like you, I struggled with loud noises when I came back from Iraq. Uh, did not like being in crowded spaces, so I completely get it. And obviously, I can't testify to how everybody's going to do, but it has, I wouldn't say completely gone away from me, but I've been able to, I'm still probably more vigilant than the average person, but I'm able to reframe it. So part of it is conditioning yourself in those spaces in a carefully conditioned environment. So like like the idea is stress inoculation is one one part of it. So exposure. Exposure. So you're so reframing like the so because one of the ways we do deal with, for instance, things like phobias is exposure. Exposure. So that's yeah. part of it. Um, one is we've created certain meanings to these experiences that. I mean, we were talking about this before. Fundamentally, the idea is that what we've been through is a negative or. A bad experience right reframing it that this experience because yeah. post-traumatic growth is just as real as post-traumatic stress disorder but we've created a paradigm in our society that says trauma equals disorder when, when i tell people i'm a veteran they think they're automatically like, oh poor you you must have gone through pt you must have ptsd so which with, you did which i did but, but, see, but even then i like to say that i had post-traumatic stress so with you you know you have post-traumatic stress but reframing it to say that post-traumatic stress is not indicative of a disorder post-traumatic stress can be an avenue to grow so there is a space right now between the anxiety you are experiencing and you in terms of the, the, the receiver or the, the thinker of that, the feeler of that feeling, the thinker of that thought. So I still go through low moments. Well, how do you reframe Iraq as so a I'll, good I'll, thing? Because yeah, I, I'll I give mean, you an example I of could that. try to think. I'll give you a very tangible example of that. Okay. Uh, now I'm I'm going to tell you what, what I did for me, not just because I might be a little extreme in it, but I'm going to tell you what I did for me. So he, I he lost... is extreme. He's not my pillow extreme. He's a lot extreme. <laughs> so as I mentioned, I lost a friend in the war, and for a long time I struggled with that. So what I did, and everybody told me not to feel mm -hmm. guilty. The guilt should go away, and I get it rationally, emotionally. Did not change the fact that the guilt was still real. So what I did was I put a picture of my friend right. who I lost in the war, and I said, "This should have been you. Earn this life." And so my guilt became my ally. So fundamentally, it's not just transforming the struggle, the trauma that you've been, but using it in service. Dr. Drew and I spoke a lot about service, but now using it. So to this day, just a few days ago, I went through a deep depressive low where I just started crying sitting in my room. I actually, yeah, I shared the video, so it's live. You can see exactly what I mean. The video is right on YouTube. But uh, I, I was in pain crying. And so you what put I've it done, up on YouTube? Yeah, you can see me crying right while I was in the pain just because I thought it would be a value to people who are going through pain, uh, to show that even today I still go through low moments. And one of the way I condition it, and this might help again, but I want to 
like offer a caveat that you kind of have to be ready for this. What, <laughs> what <laughs> Don't I do this do, alone, in other words. Yeah. What I do today sometimes is I will consciously watch scenes from war movies. Oh, don't do this. Okay, but I understand you would do this, but, but I'm... Okay, so sorry. Just <laughs> don't, don't do this, Grace. So don't, go ahead. You can do it. Okay, see, I I'll haven't give even... So I'll, 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 I haven't I'll let me even... temper this, but I... But but let I me have... put it this way. If you were to go down that kind of a path, you would have to do it with somebody who did it in tolerable doses for you to work your yeah, way up to this yeah path. yeah but this but so, this is you this okay. is you, how you do so maybe it, so. even before going down down that yeah. road fundamentally right now you have become attached which i went through myself there's a self-identity to the anxiety this is me i have post-traumatic stress disorder and recognizing and this is where things yeah. like meditation help build a space like this is everything you are not your thoughts your feelings or your experiences you are the thinker of your thoughts the feeler of your feelings and the experiencer of your experiences there's a space between the isness of what but is. But then when my body reacts in a different way, mm-hmm. that's the part that sucks. It's like, yeah, yes, I, I yes. don't, I do not enjoy these thoughts. I understand. But then my body is doing something different. Yes, the body. That's still the reaction. I, I, so, that's where the zone. Where, from my perspective, a little more treatment would really, really help you. And so I, I had that too. Like, could not handle crowds. Could not handle crowds. Uh, my body would visceral reaction when loud noises happen. It's like, gen- like anxiety at a very high level. L- let, let me suggest something that, yeah. that actually is, uh, has he inserted in there, but I think might be the thing for you, which is getting out of yourself by helping other people. So some other means of service where you are doing something. Maybe other people have been injured or something where you're taking care of or offering some service. Do you have any sp- specialized skills? Um, I'm a photographer. Maybe, maybe you so could. That's a specialized. Skill. Yeah, maybe you could think of some creative way of doing things for people or mm-hmm. helping people with, you know, with really serious challenges mm-hmm, by mm-hmm. with photography. Something that in that zone, that's a very safe thing to be doing, and mm-hmm. it really, as we were talking earlier, it really helps people make sense of and diminish the impact of the suffering of things yeah. like this. Recognizing and reframing the experience. That's a really that- good idea. Yeah, yeah, sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, and then, and then maybe a little more EMDR or something or some sort of, I think more like you were saying, more meditative type stuff so, you're in, so your body's reactions aren't so unmanageable to you. I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, you, you're, you go into this sort of fight or flight or freeze or yeah. you're all over the place. That, that can be managed with, with yeah, mind, you know, mindfulness and service are sort of the yeah. things that are really safe to do with these kinds of symptoms. I, so I actually worked with a veteran friend of mine who um, was struggling with severe anger issues after the war. Every time something like little things would trigger him and get severely angry. Now he was told that anger is a choice just to stop being angry. And when I told him anger is not a choice, right now you don't control the reaction of a loud noise, the anxiety. These are normal human responses to an experience yeah. that you've been through. Yeah. So accepting that this, there's an isness to this without judging it, right? Okay, so what I had with, with worked as a veteran is like, Stops thinking anger is a choice right now. And neuroscience and spirituality have both shown we don't control what first shows up in our brain. So acknowledging that this thing is there, mm-hmm. let me pause. Let me notice the anger, not try to get rid of it, not try to fight it, not try to that's, judge it, not try to demonize that's it. That's basic mindfulness. Exactly. Yeah. And then notice it. But it's it. so uncomfy. It will know, be uncomfortable. That's the, it will be uncomfortable. You that have part to, you can't make a little you, <laughs> But, but if, you're, if you're being of service to other people, you will find meaning and something special in this having had this. You know, this horrible thing happened. It doesn't have to remain a horrible thing. Somehow that experience will be... But won't that be just a distraction from, like, actually feeling the uncomfiness? No, 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 no. If you... you, Let me put it this way. If you find something creative of service that you can really do that really is meaningful for other people, you will one day 
believe it or not, have some gratitude for this experience. Yeah. You, you won't like it, but you'll have gratitude Absolutely. that it, 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 it gave you this opportunity to come up with something creative that is meaningful. Does that make sense? It's hard. You still there? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that really does make sense. And you got to train in that discomfort. That's not going to go away. There's nothing yeah, I or anybody could say that it's going to make go the, away. Well, no, I mean, you two were very helpful today. I think I just get down on myself a lot because I um, was walking down the sidewalk with a friend that day. And he, I mean, when you look at our, like, paths, since it happened in 2013. I mean, he went on to go live in New York City. He got this big job, like being L.A. Reed's assistant. Like he's just thriving and I'm so happy for him. But it's like, you look at me and it's like, okay, we literally were in step with each other. We saw the same things. We, you know, ran the same way. We Like it was like we experienced everything and yet I'm back in Missouri. Well, but, but stop doing that to yourself. Yeah, stop. Like your problem is not necessarily the anxiety. It's the, you're, you have this judgment about yourself. Well, but, that but, is but, the, but I'll even give her that. Listen, we're all biologically different. We all yeah. come to these events with different proclivities and predispositions. Yours was yours. Yeah. And, and you have to find a creative solution. So one day yeah. there's some gratitude for this. I, I yeah. know it's there in you. I can feel, yeah. you're not you're not destroyed. You're you're still yeah. can do fine. So I'm going to let you go. And I know. You're right. All right. Yeah. We'll call you. Call us back someday and let us know what okay. you're doing for people that are whatever, – whatever your creative solution is, you, you'll find it, okay? Oh, and by the way, and turn to other people. Just yeah, like you're keep turning. your jeans high and tight, Dr. Oh, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> That's from uh, your mom's house. But, but, but turn to other people. <laughs> turn to other people for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. I, yeah. I get that sense you're sort of afraid to do that. You should yeah. always be able to do that. Absolutely. Or here's a different kind of fear. This is uh, closer to your mom's house and uh, Dr. Drew After Dark. Uh, John, go ahead. Hey, Dr. Drew. Hey, John. Um, yeah, so I'm 21 years old and uh, basically have the inability to urinate public. So he has pee shy. Fair. Okay. And the thing about pee shy is it's kind of an autonomic thing. It's not something you really have. It's a visceral nervous system mm. thing mm. that makes it impossible to re, to re, relax the bladder neck so you can void. Mm. Mm. And so, how would you lean into that one? Yeah, it's kind okay. of an interesting one. That right? is an interesting. Okay, <laughs> so I mean, one part I would say is you can sort of slowly work your way with the public. You know, before you do it in a mass area, slowly work your way and condition being with the experience of that discomfort. The discomfort okay, so, is not going to. So go. again, you're saying something very important. So I, I agree. So find tolerable ways to you know to baby, bear, steps baby steps and then expand to, it. to bear with the yep, to bear with the discomfort exactly you're right. feeling. So that's one thing. The other step is putting yourself like visualization is an incredibly powerful tool in the context of any kind of fear. So visualizing yourself in an experience and not feeling the discomfort. I well, use, that's interesting. I, I visualize like for example when I run, I visualize myself going through the horrible pain that I know will show up and rising above that pain. Game changer. Sports athletes use it all the time. So visualizing the experience of the pain, uh, uh, the discomfort, whatever it may be, and then the more you practice it consciously, the easier it'll get when you actually put yourself in those in those situations. But visualizing is one of the most powerful things you can do. And there's plenty of research to validate it. Athletes, at the best athletes in the world, use it all the time for a reason. Say it, it is. I think those are good, uh, basic things he can do. Yeah. Uh, and then we got to wrap the show up in a second here, and, and I'm, I see other calls on the line. Please stand by. We will. I'll try to get to you guys shortly. Uh, somebody is asking, and I won't have time to take her call, but I want to give you a chance to address the topic, which mm-hmm. was, 
Are there any specific things you have found are useful for people with sexual trauma in childhood? Because mm. that's kind of a common thing these days. Amazingly. Yeah. I have uh, some friends I've worked with. On <laughs> There's some things that I won't share because I think they're just too, too extreme. Yeah. Um, things you've asked them to do? Things that, I mean, I can happy to share. No, no, but no. But is it did it work? It did. See, you have to be... Because you're with a physician, we can do no harm. So we have to be very careful with the things we recommend. So I I'm going to let you do it. Go ahead. What, so what, share what, 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 what kinds of stuff have you used? Okay. So I'm going to offer a giant caveat. Well, maybe don't tell us the specifics. but give us the I mean, general. it was literally one question I asked her, but it's jarring, and it's not recommended for everybody. So I have a friend who went through some serious stuff, uh, childhood and trauma. so you were working with her? We are working with her. So now I want to also offer the caveat is she was ready to go to this space that I'm about How to say. How did you get her there? We just had a lot of I did first I didn't even know she had gone through. We just got a lot of conversations about being with your emotions, practicing training and discomfort, reframing exper- the mem- the memories about experiences. Same Re- stuff you've been talking about. The same today. stuff we've been talking yeah. about. Reframing the experience of suffering that there's no bad or good emotions, there's no bad or good experiences. And that's a hard thing to just fathom that this experience is bad, yeah, right? But it's not this is it's kind of a cognitive behavioral thing. Yeah. So similar. doing a lot of that, but but it's hard to fathom that this is not a bad experience. It's just an experience. The isness so of painful, it. Yeah. yeah, because it feels bad, right? And and it's morally and all that kind of thing. There's so much things to do that. I Repre- get it. Reprehensible. Exactly. And I get it should never happen, right? And I also work with young girls who are victims of sex, tra- victims of sex trafficking, as I mentioned. So we've, we've done a lot of the stuff. So with this friend of mine, she was ready to go here. So I'm going to get off that know? caveat. Just in, we had, we had, we've spoken for hours and hours and hours. And she was getting just comfortable with the material more and more. With, with what we, yeah, with, uh, with many of her conversations. And I knew. So I asked her at one point, what if you deserve the trauma you went through? What if you deserved it? Mm-hmm. And literally her response was like, whoa. Because that's – how can you possibly say that to somebody? What if the you child, deserve yeah. – what if you deserve that you went there? So as we did is, that, is, the reason I asked her that was I asked her after, did some part of you feel like you deserve it? She said yes. Right. Did some part of you feel guilty? She said yes. Well, they feel like they caused it. They feel like they caused yeah. it. They feel guilty. Yeah. And my thing – most people would say things like, don't go. Obviously, you don't deserve it, obviously. And on a moral level, obviously. And I'm not saying in a moral sort of higher plane of social existence. I'm saying in the inner level, if a part of you feels like it, go there. So I told her, if, a part, if you feel like you deserve it, what does that mean about you? What does that mean about God? What does that mean about humanity? What does that mean about morality? Go to those spaces. That night, she was in a dark space. She sent me some messages cursing me out. But she came out, and the first time – she's been married, I think, 20, 20-plus 20 years. First time she ever shared what happened with her husband. Mm. Because she found the light, but you have to go into those. You have to navigate the demons, confront the darkness, confront the demons, and that's why you know. To I think it was Grace who said like it's uncomfortable. You can't take it's away dangerous. from the fact. It's dangerous. Yeah, I mean, again, that's why I wouldn't say everybody goes yeah. there. You have to yeah. be ready to go to this, yeah. like at, at this level, because if I, you're not, it can send you to some really dark spaces. Yes, and that could be bad. We mm-hmm. nobody wants to do that, but you got to be ready. But the point is, you can't. Nothing I or you can you can you can get sparks from a book or from a pot, you know podcast, but at some point you're gonna have to confront the discomfort. Like there's nothing I or anybody can say to them that will make that go away. Like you know, Grace said, it's going to be hard. It's going to be dis- uncomfortable. But that's where reframing the experience of discomfort to like that's what suffer well, well what, is all about. I, I think what I'm okay with is exploring the idea that you deserve it, not the, the fact that you deserve it. Not the fact because the yeah. fact is it, not even again on a, yeah. on a higher moral it, uh, level. Like, for instance, immediately if, if, if a child deserved that, exactly what does it say about God or what does yeah. it say about God's doing with you and – it, it's, I'm not it's very confusing, yeah. but it's something that I would imagine a traumatized person would want to sort through. I'm saying if you feel, and if you don't feel like it, great. But I'm saying if you if you do, I'm saying go to those spaces. Yeah. If again, <laughs> when you're ready for it, yeah, with like a with, big caveat with supervision, big with supervision yeah. when you're ready. That's why yeah. I want to offer. Like I did this with a friend because, and I've done this in different contexts with other friends who say like who will say things, and I'll say go to those spaces. But again, you have to be. 
ready. I was ready when I, I mean, like it took me a while to get to the point that I went to those spaces that like to this day, I mean, that's why I told you a breakdown crying that I haven't suffered enough and I haven't earned my, to this day, I sometimes feel guilty for being happy because there's too much pain in the world. So why do I get to be happy? It breaks me down all the time. Still navigating that. Let's leave it at that. That's a profound thought to be left with. Uh, the book is Fearvana. Check it out. Um, I don't think you're recommending things like quite this intense. I don't in the go book. that intense in the book. No, <laughs> the book. I do not. <laughs> so, so I can stand the by with the book. It's more philosophical. The book is more, uh, you know, um, an entry level. <laughs> uh, if you have a great question, uh, text it to 9842 Dr. Drew, 984 T, number two, DRDRW. That's 984 237. 3739 anytime during the week. And if you're chosen, you'll get a reply next time we go live and your call gets to skip to the uh, head of the line. Uh, again, check out drdrew.tv slash fearvana. Drdrew.tv is where you can sign up for all of this. And our friends at socialcbd, drdrew.com slash socialcbd. And uh, keep listening. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go uh, to Florida tomorrow and then mm-hmm. come other cities and then New York and have a great Thanksgiving everybody we'll see you all in December um, and do send us your questions and as I said we'll notify you first Ms. Producer did I get all that right? Alright <laughs> then uh, thank you Akshay really thank really you. interesting conversation thank and I uh, appreciate thank it very much and we will see you next time For calling times and topics follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast that's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast the music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Thank you.